That was humorous. Uh, turn to Galatians uh, chapter 3. We continue in our series in Galatians. And uh, the passage is printed on page 7 in your bulletin. And uh, today we're going to read verses uh, 10 to 14. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon me in weakness to do what only you can do, which is press your word into people's minds and hearts for their good. I pray for all the people before me, Lord, that uh, you would by the power of the Holy Spirit, move in them for their good. For your word is given for our good, Lord. Please do these things for your own glory in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about sex. Well, I have all of your attention. Uh, I want you to imagine a parent of a middle schooler or high schooler having a conversation with their child about all the dangers of premarital sex. And uh, I'm not going to tell you all those. We'll let you do that. And, and then all the benefits. So on the one hand, don't do this. This is bad. And people say it's fine. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. Right? So the parent's trying to get through the teenager. This is why you don't want to do this. And then they say, this is all the benefits of sex confined within marriage. It's a gift from God. Now, what is the parent doing when they're doing that? Now, apart from the fact that it's very awkward, and you're all thinking, like, who wants to do that? Hopefully you will do that with your kids, have those conversations. What is the parent doing? What they're doing is trying to bring into the light that which usually remains in the darkness. Isn't that right? That the kids at school, everywhere else, in culture, society, Hollywood, cats a very different spin on it, right? And so the parent is pleading with the child, here, look, let me explain two things. This is actually bad, and people say it's good. This is actually good. And this is what it was intended for. Does that make sense? That's what the parent's trying to do. This is what Paul is doing in this passage. Now, you thought that was awkward. Actually, this passage has some things even more awkward than that. The word cursed. Kids, you can circle it. Find it on page 7. Curse, um, cursed, past tense. Circle all the times you can find it. It's a number of times. That's pretty awkward. Talking about cursing. But what Paul is doing is bringing into the light. Because one thing is bad... Or something that you shouldn't try to do, and the other is good. What, what I'm talking about is two covenants. And we're going to unpack these today. Covenant of works and covenant of grace. Look at page 7, you see the outline. We're answering this question. Why should you let Christ take the curse for us? Or why should we let Christ take the curse for us? The covenant of works is futile, first. And secondly, the covenant of grace is infinitely better. Okay, so let's look at that first one. We should let Christ take the curse because... The covenant of works is futile. 
So as I said, we're going to explore these two theological terms, and they will not only help you understand this passage, but it's also, well, it should really help you in your Christian life. Hopefully by the end you'll see why. Okay, what is the covenant of works? Covenant of works God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's very simple. You obey the rules and you live. You disobey the rules and you die. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Of course, Adam and Eve didn't do so hot. Just one rule. Don't eat that fruit. Obey me and you will live. And he said, if you disobey me, you will die. That's the covenant of works. Okay? They failed at the covenant of works. And then how's it gone since then? How's humanity done with the covenant of works? We've all failed, right? Covenant of works. You see it right there in verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, he's going to quote the Old Testament, Cursed or cursed be everyone who does not abide by how many of the laws? Abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's the covenant of works right there. You obey all the laws. You didn't, and so you're under a curse. That's what verse 10 is saying. Now, is God being unrealistic? God, you're expecting us to obey all the laws? That, that, seems, that seems impossible. Why? Why would you ask that of us, God? I want to use an illustration that Tim Keller used that I thought was helpful at this point. I mean, tell us a story. It's an imaginary story of a man and a woman. They're seriously dating. And uh, the girl comes to him and says, hey, I want to share some things with you. There's three things that are really important to me. He says, okay, tell me about it. The first one is I'm allergic to smoke. That I just can't stand smoke. It makes me sick. I just start coughing. I, just, I wanted you to know that. And he says, oh, thanks for telling me. Just so you know, I smoke two packs a day and I'm going to continue. She said, there's a second thing I want you to know about me. Um, we, you make a lot of money. I make a lot of money. But it's really important to me that we live beneath our means so we can be generous. We can give to other um, to good causes. He says, oh, oh, that's interesting. Um, I actually am committed to owning multiple houses. And uh, even if we have to go into debt, I'm going to have multiple houses. You probably see the pattern here. There's a third thing, she says, I, wanna, I want you to know, is that I really want our kids to be raised in a multi-ethnic um, neighborhood and um, just where they get to experience poor people and wealthy people. I, just, they, I want that experience. He says, no way. I'm, we're going to live in a wealthy neighborhood and everyone's going to look just like me. But then he says, but I want to ask you a question. Will you marry me? Okay, so all together, what should she say? No. That, good job. Girls, that's the right answer. You should say no. If a guy, everything you say is important to you, and he says, oh, okay, I'm going to do the exact opposite, I don't care. But well, you'll still marry me, right? The answer is no. So why, what is the point of that story? Here's the point of that story. Is that the law is relational. The law is really, God didn't just make up arbitrary rules to say, hey, I just, I'm going to make up some rules and I want you to keep them all. What God did was he explains his character in the law. So you see, you want to know what God's like? Look at the law of God. Look at the Ten Commandments and you see what God is like. See, the error the, the, the guy was making was he thought he could have a relationship apart from caring about anything that was important to her. So God's character is perfect. And so what must someone be like to be in relationship with God? Are you thinking that man or woman? What, would a per, what, what, what does the character of a person have to be like to be in relationship with a perfect God? Do you see the point? You have to be perfect. Only perfect people can be in relationship with God. 
You can't have someone who's smoking two packs a day with that girl. You, all of you said no. But somehow we think that God is different. Oh, God, you'll just put up with, with me being you know, rather selfish. and break you, I'll, I'll basically break all your commandments. But, but can I still be with you? Do you see, the covenant of works flows out of God's character. God is a perfect God. And so he said, hey, Adam and Eve, if you want to stay with me in my garden, one rule. You just have to obey me. Does that make sense? So this is the covenant of works. Okay, so as you probably figured out, we all utterly failed at this one, didn't we? So not only have I lived my whole life sinning, and you have too, but we were actually born in sin. Did you know that? That Adam ruined it for all of us. When Adam sinned, he plummeted all of humanity. And this isn't just my idea. This is in Scripture. He plummeted us all into sin. So Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, we're so excited about little Sarah being brought into the world. But you know what? Her parents are not going to teach her to be selfish. I guarantee it. They won't teach her to scream, to throw fits. But you know what? Just like all of your kids, she'll probably do it. Because this is, this is Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Everyone with kids, is that not true? Amen? Right, that our kids, we did not teach them to do it. They, by nature, sin. Even before they could talk, they were already being selfish. You see, Adam ruined it. That was not the case. It wouldn't, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, their kids would have been perfect. But they did. And so all of humanity. So not only did we enter the world with a, a guilty record, I had no chance of keeping the covenant of works. Then my whole life, I've broken it. So you see the problem. The covenant of works, trying to get to God by that way, is futile. See, really, in our passage, we have two ways of salvation. Did you know there's two ways to get to heaven? Here's one of them. The only problem is that you failed before you were born, and then you failed your whole life. That's the other way to get to heaven. There's two options here, and this is one of them. So Paul is going to lay out this. This is very much like what I said in the beginning. The parent trying to convince the kid, you do not want this. Right? This is, it leads bad places. God designed sex for inside marriage. And their parents pleading with them. And so Paul is pleading with us, saying, hey, this is a really bad deal. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by the whole law. He's quoting Deuteronomy twice. You see, God is a covenant-keeping God. You saw the word covenant of works. Covenant is an agreement between two parties. So God made covenant. It's a relationship that he made with us. The covenant of marriage, right? We know that. That's, that's a covenant you make with another person. And so God has made covenant with us. Look, he goes on, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. He didn't say the righteous shall obey the rules. He said, look, no one. How many people will be justified? No one. He's, he's just going to say the same thing over and over again. Do not try this means. You will not get to heaven by this route. The righteous will live by faith. It's like a fork in the road, two doors, you got to choose one of them. It's either faith or works. You're not going to, you can't choose both. And one of them doesn't lead anywhere because you're, you failed miserably. Have you ever seen, oh, this is where I need my thing here. Have you ever seen the scene in, in lots of movies where our hero is hanging from a cliff with one hand? Have you seen this? 
And, he, and with his other hand, he has two options. There's a hand reach down to take that he can grab hold of, or he can reach for the treasure. Can you picture a movie like this? And so he can either reach for the treasure, maybe he can reach it, but he might fall, or he can reach for the hand that's extended to him. Right? So picture that. This is the scenario that Paul has. He says, you can only reach for one of them. You either reach for works, but by the way, it leads to nowhere. Look, he goes on, verse 12. But the law is not from faith. Rather, the one who does them will live by them. He's saying, if you're going to play by these rules, these are the rules you've got to work with. The covenant of works is a steep hill. I hope you plan on being perfect. It's not going to work. That's, that's what he's saying here. Um, kids, if you're doing that little activity thing, you're surprised it says, um, the rich young ruler, on the front of it, it's because Jesus used this same line of thinking with the rich young ruler. He said, I've obeyed all the commands. Can I get to heaven? Remember, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything. The man had not kept the covenant of works, but he was trying to use that means to get to heaven. Did you notice, look how many times there are quote marks in there. Kids, you know what a quote mark looks like? Look at all the quotes in here. He quotes the Old Testament three times in three verses. The next verse is going to happen again. Four quotes in four verses. Now that's odd. Why is he quoting the Old Testament so much? What benefit would it have for him? Here's the benefit. He's arguing, remember the whole issue in Galatia, the people coming in and saying, you need a little bit of Old Testament circumcision, some Old Testament law. Right? Yeah, you got faith, but you need something else. And so Paul proves from the Old Testament that the Old Testament never said that you're going to get to heaven by your works. That's what he's doing. He's quoting. These are all Old Testament quotes. He says the righteous will live by faith. He said over and over, he's quoting the Old Testament to prove to them, saying, this is not a, just a New Testament idea. This has always been the way. So I hope you're convinced by verses 10 through 12 that striving to get right with God through the covenant works is absolutely futile. Why begin an impossible journey? Okay, so that's the first point. You're all under a curse, and you've spent your whole life failing at the covenant works. Isn't that encouraging? Don't you all feel great now? It's very much like the woman who refused marriage to the guy because he cared about nothing that was important to her. We have cared about nothing that was important to God our whole lives. So hopefully you see, this is not a path you want to take. Do you see his point? This is not going anywhere. That's the whole point Paul is making. That's option one. And hopefully if you're a believer, you say, why would I want to go back to that? Right? If you have a good marriage, why would you want to go back outside of marriage to find pleasure? Right? Thinking to where I started this morning. Of course not. I understand that I have something better. I have something better than the covenant works, and I'm just going to earn my way to God. Do you follow that logic? You cannot earn your way to God. And so he's just shining light on it over and over and saying, this leads nowhere. This leads nowhere if you're going to earn your way to God. Okay, so then in direct con contrast to the covenant works, Paul switches to the covenant of grace. That's where we're going to look secondly. And lastly, the covenant of grace is infinitely better. So hopefully we've established by now that covenant works is a losing proposition. He shifts his focus. Look at where he goes in verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, cursed again. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
He redeemed us by becoming. See, Jesus did not just pay for your sins. He became a curse. What does that mean? Became a curse. Remember two weeks ago we talked about our union with Christ, remember? Two become one, all the assets of the one and the debts of another come together when you get married. Right? Our union with Christ. And then kids, you remember, we'll, we'll keep doing this and you'll learn it if you get your long-term memory. What's the memory clue for justification? No. Just as if I, just as if I, just as if I had never sinned and just as if I had always waited. You remember that? Just as if I have always waited. So how do we get that? Okay, so let's think, connect our dots here. Just as if I had always obeyed. The covenant of works has been active all the way since the beginning, and everyone has utterly failed. But who? Who was this? this is a good Sunday school answer. Who was it who actually kept the covenant of works? There you go. Jesus, someone's with me. <laughs> Jesus kept the covenant of works. Isn't that interesting? So God created a means of salvation at the very beginning. Gave it to Adam and Eve, they utterly failed. Everyone else has utterly failed until Jesus. Jesus, remember, Jesus was not born of a man. The Holy Spirit put Jesus inside Mary. He had no original sin. He was born perfect, and he lived perfect. He actually kept the covenant works. He's actually called the second Adam sometimes. Did you know that? Jesus is sometimes called the second Adam. We see this in Romans 5, 12 to 17, and 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For as by a man, being Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't this cool? The covenant of works actually was really good for one man. He had to earn our salvation some way. He did it through the covenant of works. So Adam failed, Jesus came along and did what he couldn't do. So it's just as if I had always obeyed, because Jesus always obeyed, and then I got it through my union with Christ. You see how we're connecting all these dots week by week? So you have your union with Christ, your justification, and then now, covenant of works, and then covenant of grace. Covenant of grace is the better option. Hope you pick that up. Okay, so look there at 13 again. Redeemed us from the curse. Uh, of the law by becoming a curse for us. For Israel, the curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This quote comes from Deuteronomy 21, 23. We don't use that word very often, curse, do we? Not in that context. What does it mean to be cursed? The best picture of this is the cross. The cross is the best way we can understand what is to be cursed. John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, says these verses... Our passage today are the clearest exposition of the necessity and means and consequences of the cross. Paul expresses himself in such stark terms that some commentators have not been able to accept what he says. He actually said Jesus became a curse. And some commentators will just dance around this. They just can't imagine Jesus being a curse. Legally, he was cursed. Let's unpack that for a second. I don't know if you've ever been embarrassed publicly, shamed by anyone else. Think about Jesus. What was his experience like? He was publicly humiliated, right? All the religious leaders went after him over and over. And then Rome, Rome embarrassed him. Remember, they stripped his back and they beat him with a whip. Sounds like a curse to me. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head, beat that into his head. 
threw a, threw a purple cloak over his head and punched him in the face and said, prophesy, who punched you? It sounds like a curse, doesn't it? They absolutely humiliated him. And finally, they hung him on a tree. They nailed his hands and his feet to a tree. You see, this was actually not just a Jewish idea or a Roman idea. If you study history, it was very popular. After you kill the person, you hang them. You hang them on a tree, on a stake, on the wall to utterly humiliate them after you've defeated them. The Jews knew that and they said, curses everyone hung on a tree. And so how did Jesus die? He was hung on a tree. He was utterly cursed. Remember Jesus said on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember the covenant is relational. He had had perfect unity with the Father his whole life. And the Father rejected him. Can you imagine that? The Father rejected the Son because he was cursed. He bore all of your sins. And so Jesus cried to heaven looking for his Father. And he was not there. God had turned his back on his Son. He was cursed. When Jesus said it is finished, what was finished? It was the curse was finished. He had absorbed an eternity of hell that you deserve. And I deserve all the wrath of God, he absorbed. When he said it's finished, he meant it, it's finished. He had taken that curse. Look, the passage goes on, look at verse 14, our last verse. It says, so that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, what's the blessing of Abraham? Might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. There it is. The promised spirit. That we may receive. You were a curse. You were under a curse. We all utterly fail and come in works. Bad option. Don't go that way. And so then now he lays out and says, this option is so much better. Someone will be cursed. Either you, you were born under a curse, or Jesus. He says, please choose option two. That we might receive the promise that was to Abraham. The promised spirit. I hope you see just how different the covenant works and covenant of grace. You know what grace means, kids? Grace is undeserved favor. All your Christmas gifts, kids, are grace. You don't deserve them. You didn't earn them. Despite what the song says, it is grace. When anyone, adults, when you forgive someone else, it's grace. They didn't deserve it. You release them from your right to be angry at them. It's grace. We have a covenant of grace. So much different than the covenant of works. Now we had to connect the dots. Remember, we said no unpure person can be with God. Remember the um, woman and the man? She said, we all said no, she should not marry him. So then how in the world are we going to get to heaven? It's through Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the covenant of works. He was perfect. He gave it to us. And so then now we actually can be in God's presence forever. Do you see how that works? The only way the covenant of grace works is that Jesus fulfilled the other covenant, so then we are perfect. You see, the law was not, is not just um, abstract. It's absolutely connected to God's character. It had to be fulfilled. You have to be made perfect if you intend to be with God forever. It was through Jesus. Think back to Galatia. What's going on? In Galatia, they're lying to them, and they're mixing up the covenants. Right? They're saying, you have the covenant of grace, you have faith, but you need a little bit of this other stuff. You need circumcision. Let's mix this in. I don't know if any of you ever have been to it. I have not. I only saw pictures. But the Berlin Wall. Would anyone just kind of mosey through Berlin and not really realize when they went from east to west? No, you knew. 
Up until 1989. There's a really big wall. Paul is trying to build a really big wall between these two covenants. And saying they have nothing to do with each other. Right? The covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Do you see that in this passage? He's laying out this. You're under a curse. This goes nowhere. It's not a faith. And this one. Jesus took the curse for you. This is so critically important. That we understand this, this huge dividing line. Adults, you all know, bleach is a good cleaner. It's great. Ammonia, great cleaner. You mix the two together, you have a deadly poison. Right? The covenant of works is great, at least for Jesus. It was important. The covenant of grace is far better. It's good for us. But you can't mix those two together. You have a poisonous gas. It will kill you. That's what they were trying to do in Galatia. And it's still today. There are many, many churches. And some of you could even be at risk of being deceived. Do not be deceived. The covenant of works and the covenant of grace are completely divided. You cannot mix them. You're under curse in this one. And this one, Jesus took the curse for you. This is not abstract theology. This is amazing grace. Isn't it? This is an amazing grace that you who are under a curse will actually be in the presence of God forever because of which that Jesus took that curse for you. Look at page six. We're going to sing Amazing Grace in just a few minutes. Look at the words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm not like God. I should not be with God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Can you see that the covenant of works is futile? I hope you can. Can you see that the covenant of grace is infinitely better? I hope you can. I was blind, but now I see. We're all tempted to go back and live under the covenant of works. I hope that you will be less tempted after this sermon. To think that you can please your father more by obeying the rules. That that's really going to make God happy. No. Even your good works are tainted. My good works are tainted. There is nothing pure that we can do. Christ became a curse for you. Please don't dare take that curse on yourself if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, please hear me. God is not joking about this. You know that man hanging by one hand? Eventually, his hand will slip. This is the time you make a decision. While you still have a grip on that cliff, what are you going to do with that other hand? Are you going to keep reaching for something that you can never reach, the covenant of works? I'm just going to try to be a little better. I'm going to clean up my life. Or will you take the hand that's extended to you, which is Christ? Now, the reality is Christ was actually the one that grabbed hell of your hand. You'll learn that later. But we, do, we all have a limited amount of time. Take that hand. You know, in the assurance of uh, pardon or of uh, forgiveness, I didn't connect these dots. But it said in this verse that I was going to say now. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no curse left for you. It was completely, if you're a believer, there is no curse, no condemnation left for you. It was completely absorbed by Christ. If you understand this passage, it will lift some of the burden that some of you feel. You feel like you're under a curse. But you aren't. It was already taken. It was already completely paid for. Look at the last verse of Amazing Grace. And we'll end with this. 
When we've been there 10,000 years, one day your hand will slip, you and I will die. And I pray that you are holding Christ's hand. And 10,000 years from now, you will have no less days to sing God's praise, that you're under the covenant of grace and no longer under the, the curse of the covenant of works. We'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this passage. Lord, I don't enjoy talking about curses, but the real, and the real curse is, is relational. Being isolated from you, I pray that no one here would end their life, not even their day. I pray that no one here would end their day still under the curse of the covenant works. That they would turn to you and take hold of the hand extended to them that they would receive the covenant of grace, something undeserved, absolutely and completely. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you're holding on to me far greater than I'm holding on to you. And you will hold on to me forever. Thank you. That is the hope of everyone here who's a believer. Lord, we thank you for this in the name of Christ. Amen.